Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you once again. And Lord, we dedicate this time to your worship. And Lord, in order for that to happen, several things must first happen. Lord, there must be a surrender of our wills to your word and obedience to the things that are written in your word. And Lord, we just ask that the Holy Spirit would be able to just superintend each part of this service, that you would be glorified in what goes on here today. And most of all, Lord, that each heart, each soul represented here would surrender to your word and just simply obey it. We ask for your work that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please improve on the old hymns. What a message is there. This morning we're going to be doing things just a little different in the preaching time. And and uh, I just want to challenge you to uh, put on your thinking caps, if you would, to listen very closely. Because uh, this is one of those messages that will be easily misunderstood if you're not really praying and asking God to direct you in His Word. I want you to start with me this morning in Matthew chapter um, 28, Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to look at a very familiar passage, and, and again, we normally do not do this, but we're going to use this passage kind of as a diving board this morning. Uh, we're not going to uh, deal with the main meaning of this verse but there's something that is here that uh, I believe will help us get started on the right track this morning. Jesus is giving his church its commission. This is what the church is supposed to be doing here in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, I always like reading verse 18 first. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. All God's people said. You see, this is what a church is about. If a church isn't doing these things then either they're disobedient or they're not Jesus' church. You, you can come to no other conclusion than that. And, of course, the world is full of false churches and the world is full of disobedience because we're human beings. But as God, as Jesus is giving the instruction here, he says, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, this is Father's Day. But is it not interesting that God has chosen to reveal himself to us in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, most of the emphasis in the Scripture is on the relationship between the Father and the Son. I often like to just refresh the story, remind you of we had a visitor here several years ago, and he told me he had the Trinity all figured out. In fact, he had written a paper on it and had it copyrighted by the United States Copyright Office and and, and that he was the only man that understood the Trinity properly. And I thought, oh, this is going to be good. And, and the only thing good that came out of this was he introduced me to iced coffee. Uh, but uh, he got out the paper and showed me these official uh, copyright uh, receipt and all of those things. And he said, you see... It's very simple. Just like you're Pete Montoro, the pastor, you're also Pete Montoro, the father. 
And he said, that's how God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And I said, sir, you need to understand that the modal understanding of God is not new with you. It's very old. And let me just present a problem for you. I said, if Pete Montoro, the pastor, and Pete Montoro, the father, start having conversations with each other, said, the men in the little white suits are going to come and take me away. You see, God is not multi-personality. He is not schizophrenic. He does not have problems with that. He is so big that he has revealed himself to us in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. That's what the Scripture teaches. Say, Pastor, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Good. It wasn't meant to. It was meant to be beyond your senses. Because God is bigger than your brain. Amen? How many of you are glad about that? Say amen. amen. I'm glad that God's bigger than I can think. Why did it get so quiet? See, we don't like things like that. We like things that we can handle. We like things we understand. That's safe, we think. But I want to challenge you, there's no safer place to be than in the hand of a God that's bigger than you can understand. Amen. Amen? And so this morning, I want us just to look at this God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And, and we do not mean in any way this morning to uh, lessen the relationship of God the Father and God the Holy Ghost. But being Father's Day, I, I'd like to spend the time on God the Father and God the Son because I believe God wants to teach us some things about what it means to be a father and what it means to be a son. You know, when we have our mother's daughters, our mother-daughter tea every year, we say you only have to have one of meet one of two qualifications. You either have to be a mother or you have to be a daughter to show up. All right? Now, there are no ladies here that do not meet at least one of those qualifications. Amen? Uh, there's a relationship. And you know, Mother's Day is sweet. Because when mom says, I love you, the only thing you got to do is give her a hug. But it's different with fathers. God intended it to be different. There's a lot of problems in relationships between sons and fathers. One of the main reasons is too many sons are trying to be fathers and too many fathers are trying to be sons. I'll tell you, there is nothing more ridiculous than a 50-something man trying to act like a 17, a teen-something boy. Uh, every once in a while, you see them drive by. They got a convertible, the top's down, the music's loud, and they got one little tiny piece of ponytail way down on the bottom there because there's no hair anywhere else. It all fell out. Somebody said, I just got wavy hair. It just waved goodbye a long time ago. Uh, the simple truth of the matter is, when I see something like that drive by, you know what my first thought is? I wonder what the alimony payments are in that car. That's my first thought. My second thought is, how sad is it for a man of that age to have nothing better to do than to try to prove to everyone that he is something that he is not. 
You ever met somebody that's trying to prove something to you? I think we talked about this a while back. We had a company call up and they wanted to sell us electricity and and uh, the guy was saying, yeah, I'm a preacher just like you are. Honest, I just believe in the Bible. I said, you know something, sir? I said, when you go through that little spiel, you make me doubt your character. Because, you know, I don't have to go around telling people I'm honest. If they know me, they know I am. And when you have to go around proving and trying to tell me that you're honest... That tells me that you've got a problem with people thinking you're not. Now, we come to this issue of a father's love. Is there anyone here that would doubt that God the Father loved God the Son? Is there anyone here that would question the love of the Son, we're talking the love of Jesus Christ for His Father. I mean, how can you question that? And yet God revealed Himself to us in this pattern because He wants to teach you and I a little bit of what it is to be a father and to be a son. And you're going to have to think hard this morning. You're going to have to listen closely. Because I want to tell you everything in our society today is pitted against a proper father-son relationship. They do not care necessarily about the mother-child relationship, but they are dead set against a true father and son relationship. In fact, I would challenge you today that the most difficult thing there is for a man to be today is a father after the biblical pattern. It is nearly impossible. In fact, it is impossible without God's direct intervention in your life. But I want to challenge you. It may be as equally difficult to be a son. And both take a great deal of dedication and work. You see, when a father says, I love you, son, there's usually some connections that are there. It's not just a simple statement. It's a little more complex than that. In fact, let's just turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verse 10, says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Father that Jesus suffered on the cross. He, the Father, hath put him, Jesus the Son, to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. When Jesus would be made an offering for sin, the Father would see his seed, those who would believe in Jesus. He shall prolong his days, resurrect him from the dead. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he, the Son, shall bear their iniquities. Those are hard verses to read, are they not? 
Yet it was part of God's love for His Son and for mankind as a whole that we might be born into His family that Jesus would suffer on the cross. We won't take time to turn and read the passage this morning, but how many of you are familiar with what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane the night Jesus was betrayed? Three hours he prayed. The son prayed to the father for three hours. And his prayer was, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Could I challenge you this morning, the first characteristic, the first ideal that I would deal with in the sermon this morning of between the relationship of a father and a son is that of surrender. You know, when a child is small, it is father's job to make sure that little boy does what he's supposed to. Amen? I mean, that's just part of dad's job. I mean, boys especially. It's hard for boys to listen to mom all the time. But we got a rule in our house. You make her cry, mom. I'll make you cry, dad. Why? Because it's easy for a son, especially as they get a little older, to kind of, not physically, of course, but just kind of bully mom around a little bit. There comes a time in every son's life where he has to make a decision to willfully surrender to the will of the Father. Or that relationship will never be what God intended it to be. That's why Solomon told his son, I don't believe it happened in the case of Rehoboam. He said, my son, give me thine heart and observe and let thine eyes observe my ways. Jesus surrendered to God's will long before the Bible was written. It was already set. And yet he gave us a three-hour display in the Garden of Gethsemane of his surrender to the Father's will. I want to challenge you, if you're saved today, you had to start there. You had to surrender your will. In fact, the Bible calls it repentance. That's where you change the direction of your life. Now, we understand you cannot change your direction. You cannot stop sinning. You cannot really do anything unless God does it. But there has to be that willful decision on your part to stop trying to save yourself to stop trying to be good enough to please God and surrender. What do you surrender to God to get saved? Everything, my friend. If you don't surrender at all, it's not Bible salvation. Now, that doesn't mean that you might not try to pick a certain part of your life up again or try to go back to something that was in the old. That's human nature. But there's a decision that has to be made. And Jesus gave us a display, and I'd like you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, if you would, this morning. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll start in verse 7. This is talking about the relationship of the Son and the Father. Then said I, this is Jesus speaking figuratively here. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. 
Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father. He said, I will do thy will. Now we understand in the earthly relationship, as we try to get the pictures here, that's not always possible with an earthly father. Because sometimes an earthly father does not know Jesus as his Savior or does not want to serve God. But a man who is a Christian, who is a believer in this book called the Bible and is a father, ought to want only what God wants in the life of his children. Amen? I was just talking with my father-in-law the other day, and he says, you know, he said, some people got mad at me. He said, but, he said, having a daughter get married is kind of like a death. And I say, yes, it is. And you know what? I thank the Lord that my father-in-law was man enough to let me take his daughter as my wife. What a privilege. You see, it hurt him, but it sure helped me. It's a little hard for me feeling his grief, but seeing that I have six daughters, I am sure that I will find out probably sooner than I want to. But that's okay. You see, Jesus said, I've come to do thy will. It would be a wicked man indeed. It would be something that's just not in the scripture for a man to say that I love Jesus and would not want my child to follow him wherever he would lead. Amen? But there are some places God's just not going to lead you. God will never lead one of my children to take bartending lessons. That's just not going to happen. That's not of God. Period. My God uh, will not lead my daughters to be models. That's ridiculous. Don't talk to me about being a godly model. If you want to be a godly model, be a Christian father or a Christian mother, but don't get on camera, amen? It's not what the world thinks. God will not lead my children toward prosperity for the sake of prosperity. Not going to do it. It's not in this book. But you see, surrender is not everything. That's the first step. Now, the next word is going to be a little more difficult because wicked people have attached it to all kinds of wicked things. But it's a godly word, and it's a real word that belongs in your Bible. You see, if you have true surrender, it leads to true submission. Oh, isn't that a horrible word? I mean, we're Americans here, most of us. There's one thing that America had never done until recent history. When that old flag went anywhere in this world, it was never bowed before another flag. 
That's just the way we are. You say, but that's proud. Well, that's America. That's our history. Well, wouldn't it do us good? No, we don't want to be like everybody else because we're not. We're different. The only thing you have to do to be an American is show up and want to be a part of what goes on here. That's an amazing thing. I don't know any other country in the world that has ever offered that. But submission, well, that's the exact opposite of everything we've ever been taught. Isn't it? Not really. You see, the men that built this country knew that in order to be free, we would have to submit ourselves to certain principles that were a little bigger than any government and any group of people. In fact, they called them inalienable, inalienable rights endowed by the Creator. That meant that everyone had a responsibility to exercise their freedom in submission to the Creator. I wish we had time to follow that, but that's what the founding fathers of this country meant by the pursuit of happiness. It was being obedient to God for the benefit of society, not for what makes your little boat float. Did we get that? But you see, Jesus surrendered his will to the Father. But then he submitted to the will of the Father. He found himself in total submission to God's will. Now the word submission... Unlike the word surrender, and I know we're just touching on finer points of definitions of words, because true surrender does involve submission, but surrender is giving up my rights. Submission is giving up my actions. Submission deals with the will. It deals with a word called obedience. And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to read a very difficult verse in the Bible, one that most people stumble on quite, quite a bit. And I hope that this sermon will shed light on this verse, and in turn, this verse will shed light on how we ought to behave. We'll start reading in verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but that he said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, was heard in that he feared. Verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he... What's that next word? Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know, many different religions have stumbled at this verse and say, how could Jesus learn obedience? He, if he's God, he's already perfectly uh, obedient in all of these things to God's will because he, and they go on and on and on. Uh, the Bible says that he learned obedience. How do you learn obedience, my friend? It, it's by doing what you're told. It's not a complicated thing. Let me illustrate. How many of you 
We're given specific instructions in a certain thing and specific responsibilities to carry out, and you decided not to follow the instructions. Has anybody else ever done that? Okay. You see, you didn't learn obedience. Even though you surrendered, you surrendered to the point that you received instruction, you did not submit because you did not follow through and do what was told you to do. How many like to do what you're told to do? I see we're all alive this morning. No one likes to be told what to do. It's a free country. I can do whatever I want. Sure. Just don't pay your taxes, all right? After you get put in jail, I'll come visit you, all right? You can't do whatever you want. So you got to choose where your surrender is, whom your surrender is going to be to. And once you choose to surrender, then the next step is choose to submit. But let me tell you, it gets, one, it gets better. It even goes deeper than just surrendering and submission. The last one, we'll just have all S's today, is satisfaction. You see, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, if you would. Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll pick up verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds." Jesus did not want to endure the shame of the cross. There would be something wrong with him as a man and as God if he would enjoy the degradation and those things that were to happen to him. It says... He endured the cross despising the shame. Why? For the joy that was set before him. You see, Jesus made some choices. He surrendered to the will of the Father. He lived a life of submission where he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But when it was all said and done, not only was the Father's will satisfied, so was the Son's. Because his satisfaction, his essence of life, was found in obedience to the Father. Are we still together this morning? You see, the reason it's so difficult to be a father today is not because of the ACLU. It's not because of the Sodomites and their plea for rights and privileges. It's not just simply the degradation of our society. It's because you as a father have been given a job 
to try to imitate God. Children who are raised in a home with a father who is active in their life. I just saw an article. They have higher IQs. Uh, They are more happy than children that aren't. They have a greater chance for success. And this has nothing to do with the Bible. It's just a... One of those studies that they have to put out on Father's Day to make fathers look like, well, they got to have some use. But, you know, it's everything is working against it because a father is supposed to imitate what God has done. Now, let's stop and think about this a minute. Yes, the son surrendered to the will of the father, but let me ask you a question. The will of God the Father was absolutely perfect in every way. In our minds, we can't understand that because we have to think about everything. God didn't have to think about his will. He already knew it. There was no reasoning that went into it. It was already there. The son understood by his surrender and his submission and his satisfaction in the will of the father that only the absolute best for mankind could occur. Now men, fathers... Men who are going to be fathers, I want you to think about something. Have you thought about what God would do with your children and what would most benefit the Lord in their lives? If you want your children to submit to your will, you better find out what you want them to submit to first. And then you have to develop a plan of obedience. Now some of it's going to be as you go. We're human beings. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that our fathers disciplined us after their own pleasure. And let me tell you something, if you hear somebody preaching that somehow, Father, you can get past that verse, I'm going to question their veracity and integrity. Your job is to take your pleasure as a father and submit it to the will of God the Father, but as a human being, you can't be perfect in that. There are certain things that a father, if he's going to be obedient to God, is going to have to demand from his children. It's easy when they're little. It gets harder when they get bigger and stronger. Somebody says, do you wrestle with your children? Not the big ones. I don't want to get hurt. I like the little ones. That's lots of fun. I'm not in competition with my children. I don't have to be. I'm their father. Whether they like it or not. Amen? But there has to be some decisions made on the part of the father of what you want your children to surrender to. of what you will have them live their submission to. You see, submission is obedience. Jesus learned obedience by just simply doing what the Father said. Part of being a father is making your children do things. And that's tough. Because nobody likes to be told to do things. 
even little children. But the hardest part of all and the part that only God can control is that last part. When a child chooses to be satisfied with the will of the Father. Only God can do that. You see, that's a little insight into one of our, another one of our most misunderstood verses in the Bible. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You see, as a father, you've got to walk that way. You've got to start out by how do fathers start out? Now, this isn't true of God the Father, but in the human sense, fathers start out as sons. I'm sure that was amazing. It took me a long time to know. Fathers start out as sons. The best way you can train to be a father is by being the type of son the Bible says you're supposed to be. I want to be satisfied in the words of the psalmist with thy likeness. I, I want to be satisfied with those things that God has for me whether they be some great thing standing on a huge platform or whether it be some hidden thing that nobody else knows about. I want to be satisfied with what God has for me. I want that to be my life goal. Because God built something into children. They love what daddy loves. It's interesting. My children like to go hunting. Why? Because daddy likes to go hunting. Not all of them, but most of them do. Dad, when can I go? Until they get to go. Is this, is it supposed to be this cold outside? Oh, yes. That's part of the fun is freezing your toes off. Then I'm not quite so sure I like this anymore. But listen, God has built in the heart of children to want the things their father wants. I've dealt with many families. And I'm watching because I still have children that I have to raise, little ones. And I've seen children that have turned from the truth and walked away from what their parents taught them. And I want you to understand something. That doesn't really happen. They walked away from what you said you were teaching them. But they didn't walk away from what you were teaching them. See, children know what you really want. And if you really want money, they'll go after it. And they'll probably do a better job than you did. If it is some kind of notoriety that drives you, let me tell you, they have all the tools to get it, much more than parents do. We can have a room full of parents... And everybody's in here. Bring in one newborn baby. And what's everybody do? Notarize. You choose. You see, as a father, it's your duty. It is your number one responsibility to make sure that your heart satisfaction is truly 
in obedience to God's word. If it's not, your kids aren't going to follow you there. You say, well, but pastor, nobody's perfect. I'm, I'm to the point to where I really pity the next person that tells me that. I, I hope it will be in the spirit. But I've been carrying a load for a long time about people using their humanity as an excuse not to obey God. I'll tell you what, I'm sick of it. Nobody's perfect. Tell me something else we don't already all know. But love covereth a multitude of sins. And if you love God, if you love God, your children will love God and they'll forgive you. But if you don't love God, your children won't forgive you because they'll never get back what you took away from them in teaching them to love things that aren't in God's Word. You, you cannot put in words the importance of that responsibility of being a father. It's got to be there. I like what Douglas MacArthur said about fatherhood. He said, I hope and pray that when my son remembers me, he won't remember the battlefields. He said, a soldier kills and destroys. He says, a father, and I'm paraphrasing greatly, it was quite an eloquent quote. He says, a father gives life and builds. And rather than remember me on the fields of death, I would hope he remembered me as I led him in our family prayers at night. thought that was a pretty good quote. You see, we all have limitations. But God never intended our humanity, our limitations as a human being, to be an excuse not to be obedient to God's word. This cuts down to the very essence of our relationship with God. And by the way, the application is to all of us. If you are here today and you're saved, you're positionally born into God's family. That's why it's called being born again. You're positionally a son, which means you are in line to receive the inheritance and rights of the family, whether you're a man or a woman. God looks at us all the same. God wants nothing for you that is less than His perfect will. But it starts with submission, I mean, surrender. Then there's got to be a submission. There's got to be a carrying out of those things. But it gets deeper and better than that. The essence of my life, the joy of my heart is in being obedient to the will of the Father. It's not often on this earth, especially in our day and time, that human beings will enjoy that relationship, father, son, father, daughter, as outlined in the scriptures. It can be, and it ought to be. But there's not a one of us here today that has an excuse 
for not being able to enjoy that relationship between ourselves and the Heavenly Father. There is no excuse. You want to do what's best? You're concerned about this country? Be a good son to the Heavenly Father. Most important thing you can do. You're concerned for unsafe family members? The most important thing you can do is be a good son to your Heavenly Father. Uh, you're concerned about your personal future and what is going or not going to happen. The safest place to be is in the will of your Heavenly Father. All of your answers and all of your fears could be met if you would only be satisfied with what the Father wants for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, I pray that each one here would be able to see and to understand what it means to surrender, to live in submission, and to be satisfied with the will of the Father. Lord, I pray for the fathers that are here, that as we face this most difficult task, that we would search the Scriptures. We would rend our own hearts that we would live in submission to the Father, that we would be satisfied with God, that our children would want the same thing in their life. Lord, we bring our sinful souls to you, knowing that only you can forgive and only you can remake what's been broken. We ask that you would work in each soul here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.